Возлюбленная Богом Церковь, начиная наше богослужение пред Господом, встанем, пожалуйста, и утвердим обетование, относящееся к предверию нашей надежды. Да воцарится воскресение Христова в наших телах. Склоним наши головы в молитве. Дорогой Небесный Отец, во имя Иисуса Христа, мы благодарны имени Твоему Святому за вновь представленную привилегию быть на месте всем, которые очертила десница Твоя для поклонения Святому имени Твоему. И ныне позволь наследию Твоему во имя крови забета подняться на вершины для нас недосягаемые и сокрушить всякое бремя и запинающий нас грех. Да будут прокляты в этом служении, как и прежде, все дела дьявола, болезни, нищета, преждевременная смерть, демоническая зависимость, всевозможные страхи, депрессии, разрушение, косность, невежество – все это да отступит от шатров святого народа Твоего. И ныне встань, Господи, на место покоя Твоего Ты и ковчег могущества Твоего, и да облекутся святые Твои спасением Твоим, и да возрадуются пред лицом Твоим. Дай нам больше от Духа Твоего, пропитай нас Духом Твоим святым, позволь нам найти светлое лицо Твое. Я представляю это служение в Твои божественные руки, виде Его рукою превознесенную, великий Бог, Отец и Дух Святой. Аминь. Да благословит вас Господь, можете садиться. Oh 
If you have your Bibles, please open up with me a familiar place of Scripture that continues to contain the depth of the unknown riches and knowledge that God has prepared that He desires to reveal so that we can enter into this inheritance. Matthew 5:45 and 48 that you may be sons of your Father in heaven, for he makes his sun rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. Therefore you shall be perfect just as your Father in heaven is perfect. The sermon that I would like to continue is called Called to Perfection. We will remember that it's talking about such a perfection that where the sun that God sends upon the evil and good, the good it blesses and the evil it burns with its wrath. The rains that God sends bless the just and drowns the unjust as he had drowned the wicked in their time. And so according to this place of scripture, all kinds of emissars preach that God is, has a tolerant love. You see, God sends his son and shines his son upon the evil and good and sends his reign as if he's equal to all the children, all the people in general, his children whom he redeemed and those who live as Satan and say that they are God's children. It's not so, of course, because according to how God is, God being holy already means that he loves only his holy ones. <clears throat> and a holy person <clears throat> is one that's afraid of sin, runs from sin, and fears before God. 
This promise contained in the commandment that we be as perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect is the inheritance of the saints of all generations, and this commandment of Christ is addressed by Christ specifically to his students. Therefore, people who do not accept God's delegated authority over themselves, they are not students and do not want to learn, have no part to the inheritance that is contained in in this commandment and are not able to have it. Relevant to fulfilling this required commandment, we stop to study the purpose of the righteousness of God in the heart of a man. Specifically, the goal is that the righteousness of God abiding within our heart is called to pursue. And in part, we've been studying the purpose of the righteousness of God within our heart, received by us in the two broken tablets of the covenant, in which we died by the law for the law, to live for the one that died and resurrected, and by doing so receive confirmation of our salvation in the new tablets of the covenant in the format of the law of the spirit of life, so that we provide God a basis to give us the promise to be heirs of peace, not by the past law, but by the righteousness of faith, like he gave it to Abraham and his seed. For the promise that he would be the heir of the world was not to Abraham or to his seed through the law, but through the righteousness of faith, Romans 4.13. We've noted that we need that the righteousness of faith is determined by the obedience of our faith to the faith of God, which is presented in the preached word of God sent, together with the person who represents the fatherhood of God for us and is our head. Therefore, the promise of peace of God is given only to those men that are obedient to the order of God in accordance to which God sends his word by the mouth of his delegated people. Therefore, the covenant of peace within the heart of a man is the result of the obedience of his faith to the faith of God, which is the spoken word of God's delegated ones. To examine a person as to whether he truly is sent by God to present to us his word, or if he's elected by the matter of a vote or has placed himself, is to be done by the power of delegation within the implemented by God order and by the existing within our heart anointing to identify the voice of God in the mouth of that person who is supposed to represent the fatherhood of God to us. Of course, infants in Christ are not able to differentiate the voice of God, and infants are those that are not conscious haters of his word, Infants are attracted by all kinds of teachings, by the trickery of men. Why? Because they are led by their own mind. God had anointed their mind, and they, with their carnal mind, uh, do not serve God, but those who have who he, whom He has anointed and have suppressed their feelings and controlled their mind and are obedient. <clears throat> of course, the time then comes when these infants in Christ will have to make the conscious decision as to whether they continue to be obedient uh, to God or not. 1 John 2, 18 through 26, Little children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, the haters of Christ, even now many Antichrists have come, by which we know that it is the last hour. They, these haters of Christ, these Antichrists went out from us. It, as it appears, according to Scripture, these Antichrists come out from the church. They are not from the world. The world is not Antichrist. They don't know Christ. 
to be a hater of Christ. They don't understand him. They don't are not familiar with him. One can hate Christ who is familiar with him. They went out from us, but they were not of us, for if they had been of us, they would have continued with us. But they went out that they might be made manifest that none of them were of us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and you know all things, these things I have written to you concerning those who try to deceive you. Because these deceivers say that they have their interpretation of Scripture and that God has sent them. Here it's talking about the last days because the harvest has begun. And God is gathering these this chaff uh, and binding them in sheaves. They cannot wander for themselves. They find similar to them evil men that they together they come together, they make unions, but even in these unions, they don't accept one another, but they make a union. They are binding themselves in sheaves. They don't even realize this is happening. And they're bound to so that they can be burned. And these are angels that are actually doing this work. It's not us that disqualify them. They perform division. They leave. They go out from us. We did not disqualify them. Why? Because Jesus said in this time, leave them until the time of the harvest, let them grow. And at the time of the harvest, I will tell the reapers to gather the weeds. Even in my uh, youth, there was almost no division in churches. If you were disqualified in any church for any reason, in all of the Soviet Union, they would not accept you into another congregation until you repent in that church where they disqualified you. You can go to any church you'd like, but in order to be accepted, then the pers- the, the church you want to be accepted in, for example, you go from Ukraine to Kyrgyzstan or another place, brothers need to... Uh, will send a le- the letter will, will be sent the brothers will check as to whether this person I remember this uh, was they took, this was a long process to accept a member of another church uh, because they had to confirm as to whether that person had repented in that church today easily just come out themselves disqualify themselves and immediately go to another and they with stretched out hands accept them not understanding that these are the synagogues of Satan and when these people leave I ask them why did you leave or they left another church I ask them why did you leave and or they tried to come here ask them what's the problem and they say well this person is this this person is there there and I see that this person is very bitter and I ask them to go and repent there first and then be we will accept them here but when they leave us the way they do rebelliously they are welcomed with opened arms they begin to feel uncomfortable because they're not accepted in the way that they should think they should be it's important but it's important for them that a synagogue of Satan that may be next to the church that they're in will accept them the way they want to be as in the scriptures it says they think they're Jews but are not but are a synagogue of Satan and I will make it that they will come and bow at your feet so that they know that I've loved you 
by the means of the righteousness of faith, the covenant of peace demonstrated in the, in the inheritance of peace is called to abide and be within the heart of a man evidence of the fact that he is a child of God. Therefore, the inheritance of peace present in the covenant of peace is actually the treasure of our hope in God, containing the complex of all of the promises of God that when accomplished is the goal of the given to us righteousness. It is righteousness that is called to bring about the promises of God. God gives promises for our body and righteousness is going to bring these things about or make them happen, accomplish them with noise to cast out the stronghold of death from our body and erect the stronghold of life in its place, the stronghold of righteousness, the resurrection of Christ. Therefore, it is righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. We need to remember that the covenant of peace God makes not with infants but with priests. God spoke of Levi, I have given him the covenant of peace, and he followed that covenant of peace. You'll say, so when I made, you may ask, when I made a covenant with God in baptism, was this a covenant of peace? No, it wasn't, because you were an infant. You would not have been able to comprehend and understand all of the responsibility into which you're entering. God, you are in the church, you're in the family, and you make a covenant with God, simply a covenant that you will, with a pure conscience, serve Him. Your pure conscience will uh, is that your uh, fleshly mind uh, will interpret and understand the way it thinks. Infants always say, how do you understand this or how do you understand this? People that are perfect will always ask it is, or say it is written. And this written revelation, they all base it upon one person or one head there needs to be one head and this head which is Christ is represented or in his anointed ones as well those that he's delegated and not one that has been voted for it is a person again that God has placed Paul says you can uh, learn of me about the things that God has given me and you will know by the wisdom that God has given me that it is God who sent me when I read the word I see it with the eyes of God I see what some others uh, you may not see but it's for you it's not given specifically only for me God has done this for you so that you, I, together with you, would be able to read this, tell you, and together with you, fulfill what is written. Blessed is the reader and those who fulfill. The one who, the reader as one, and those who hear and obey as many. And so the one and the other needs to fulfill. Paul says, I strive uh, in preaching to others not to remain not within what I'm preaching. And when I preach, I first apply it to myself. And so when people think, oh, he's trying to correct us, I correct myself first. I tell myself and then to you.
Therefore, it is the righteousness by the means of the peace of God contained in the covenant of peace that can and is called to guard our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Be anxious for nothing but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Philippians 4, 6 through 7. <clears throat> the peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus are the thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit, and that our carnal mind is now subject to. It has not gone anywhere. It, it remains. As we've talked about, remember, there was uh, the lame uh, son of Saul, and where was this son? At the royal table with David. But he honored David. And he was obedient to David, and he looked at him as one who's done a great work for him or kindness to him. So when we grow, and when our Saul, anointed by God, perishes, he doesn't perish completely, he remains in his children. He, our mind then humbles itself before God, before the spirit of our mind. It's, this is very interesting. Just as if you remember, uh, Jacob also was limb. He, he was not able to rely upon what he had relied upon previously, upon his own ability, his strength. You will no longer be Jacob, you will now be Israel because you fought with God or that you didn't fight against him with God, meaning that you together with God, you allowed me to fight together with you to overcome your fear of Esau. You have allowed me to fight with you. You need, you need to allow the Holy Spirit to fight together with you. And when you do this, you receive the status of a warrior in prayer, Israel, which is a warrior in prayer. The peace of God that is able to guard our thoughts in Christ Jesus, again I say, our thoughts that are renewed by the spirit of our mind, which is the mind of Christ in our spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace, because the carnal mind is enmity against God, for it is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Romans 8, 6 through 8. According to this statement, we conclude that people who have rejected the condition where the truth of the preached word in the power of the Holy Spirit renews their mind by the spirit of their mind, have no connection to the peace of God and are not able to have it. And consequently, such people are not connected and cannot have a connection to the sons of peace either, that by the means of the peace of God would inherit eternal salvation in the kingdom of heaven. We need to apprehend well that it is only by the collaboration of our spirit with our renewed mind that is within Christ Jesus that we are called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our bodies and clothe our body into the resurrection of Christ, the stronghold of righteousness. Therefore, to look at the righteousness of faith so we bring about the inheritance of the peace of God and the condition outlining the way our righteousness needs to garment itself into the armor of this peace so that our minds would be perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, we have been studying the following question. The mind is, uh, thoughts, 
when it's talking about thoughts here, we're talking about the faith of the heart. And when you confess them, they begin to happen. Faith of the heart or wor words that are confessed as the faith of the heart, by status they are equal in power as the status, sta power and status as the words that come out of the mouth of God. By what signs are we able to determine, examining ourselves, that we are sons of peace as well as the sons of God? Because it is by the reign of the peace of God within our heart that we are able to examine ourselves as to whether we are truly the sons of God. As it is written, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Matthew 5, 9. With this we've noted that if a person has not died for his nation, for the house of his father, and for his fleshly life, his fleshly desires, then his justification which he received in salvation by faith in Jesus Christ, in the format of a guarantee, will never convert into the quality and format of righteousness by which he would be able to receive the ability to be clothed into the promise of the peace of God so that he in righteousness would bear fruits of peace. Which is why the prepared for them crown of righteousness will be taken from such people, giving them the right to the promise of peace, where they can be called sons of God. Behold, I am coming quickly. Hold fast what you have, that no one may take your crown. Revelations 3.11. This is a warning. We need to remember that the promise of the peace of God receives its power and its legitimacy within our heart only by the righteousness of our faith in the covenant of peace, which places responsibility upon both sides or parties of the covenant, where each side or participant of the covenant is responsible to fulfill their role that is implemented by God in the obligations that are existing in the covenant. And if either of the sides violates the conditions that are agreed upon in the covenant of peace between God and man, we note that such a violator can only be a man, then the other side, being God, is released from the responsibility of fulfilling the conditions of the agreement of the covenant of peace. Therefore, the fruit of righteousness identified as the peace of God within our heart is evidence of the fact that we are sons of peace. This serves as grounds or basis for God so that He may fulfill his part contained in the covenant of peace, which consists in leading us into the inheritance of his Son, so that we would share with him all the things that are written about him in the laws, prophets, and psalms. Because the justification which we received by right of our birth from the seed of the word of truth has converted into the quality and format of righteousness, where we have obtained the ability to bear the fruits of peace within our relationship with God and with those around us, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord, Hebrews 12:14. And so the key word here is holiness. So we may have peace, but if it's without holiness, we will not see the Lord. We've noted that in this place of Scripture, we are talking about a form of unique and supernatural peace that is to be done by God only within the boundaries of holiness, or be an expression or demonstration of holiness. These outlined and identified boundaries of holiness are the commandments of God containing the righteousness of God. If it is possible, as much as depends on you, live peaceably with all men, Romans 12:18. We can be in, in peace with those people 
that is possible to be at peace with. Therefore, the peace that we dare by the inspiration of our mind to demonstrate out of the boundaries of holiness <coughs> and not as an expression of holiness, a tolerant love, will be incriminated to us as a serious form of lawlessness for which we will be required to pay a price of eternal life because our communication with people that the scriptures identify as evil company will corrupt our good habits and will transform us into their wicked image. It is not us, but the scriptures identify them as evil company. These are then evil company are haters of Christ. We, of course, can say how. They left, but they continue to pray. They evangelize. They also serve God. They every week also attend the services. How? That's how we want to understand it. We don't want to be obedient to the word of God. The scriptures say if they came out from us, then they are evil company. And if we will communicate with them, they will perverse our good habits. They will have us agree to mock the person whom God has placed. It is the Satan's tactic to discredit the person whom God has placed. That's enough. They will do whatever in order for you to believe them in that. So be very, very uh, careful. Corrupt, uh, evil company corrupt good habits. Awake to righteousness and do not sin. For some do not have the knowledge of God. I speak this to your shame. 1 Corinthians 15, 34 Those who state that they can communicate with anyone, they do not know God. Therefore, it is impossible and criminal to have peace with the unclean and the wicked who support the unclean, that in their time accepted the truth, but then left their church and turned away from the holy commandments that were given to them. The very fact of their rebelliousness and their resistance against the words spoken by God's delegated ones that are placed over them testify of the loss of peace within their heart and member them to the category of the wicked. <coughs> But the wicked are like the troubled sea when it cannot rest, whose waters cast up mire and dirt. There is no peace as my God for the wicked. Isaiah 57, 20 and 21. In a specific format, we have already looked at six signs by which we need to determine and examine ourselves as to whether we are the sons of peace as well as the sons of God and have been studying the seventh sign. The seventh sign is the ability to clothe your essence into the holy and selective love of God. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection, and let the peace of God rule in your hearts. To put on love, or the armor of light, is to be clothed into your new person. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which also you were called in one body, and be thankful. Once we're clothed into this love, then the peace of God will, will rule in our heart, and we will be in one body and be thankful. Colossians 3.14.15 We have noted that according to this place of Scripture, the reign of the peace of God within our heart is possible only upon one condition, and that is if the selective love of God will abide within our heart, and if we will be clothed into the selective love of God. By itself, the selective love of God is an uncomprehending, for the human mind, goodness of God or kindness that is inherent to God. Jesus spoke of himself. To, he, he responded to a man 
Why do you call me good? There is only one that is good. What does it mean to be good? This is the will of God. It comes from the Father and doesn't come from the Son or the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit and the Son, they fulfill that good that comes from God. So we understand who the Father is. He alone is good. Since in the selective love of God, which is the goodness of God, we see concealed the good, wonderful, and eternal and uncomprehending for the human mind goals and works of God, called to build a unique and peaceful relationship between God and His children. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God, or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect. Why was Jesus perfect as His Father? Because He completely fulfilled the will of His Father. He did not implement his own laws. I also have my mind, and I also can judge and understand the way I want to. He told the Jews, I have much to say about you, but I say only what the Father has revealed. Even the Son of God had a choice, and he always <clears throat> refused his own understanding for the sake of the understanding or interpretation of God. And he speaks only when the Father allows him to speak and as much as the Lord had allowed him to say. He doesn't say everything, but only that part that God wanted to reveal through him. God wants to heal all. God wanted to come to this world and heal all, but God sends his Son he does, takes the difficult path. He goes to the sick man and Bethesda. There are many ill there. He comes there as if in secret, approaches a man who's been sick for almost 40 years and who acknowledged finally 40 years he needed to, in order to acknowledge his sins before God. Jesus approaches him and says, do you want to be well? And he says, yes, but I don't have a person that would be able to bring me to the waters when the angels stir the waters. When the waters are stirring, I come close, but somebody else always uh, comes in first. He says, take up your mat and go to your house and do not sin any longer. He wanted to heal all. These were all ch children of God that were sick, but the Father said, heal this only one, this man. When he healed, he healed only those whom the Father told him to heal. He wanted to heal everybody. For us to understand what the goodness of God is, why did God not heal everyone? Does he not love all the children? His love allows them to suffer if they will not suffer, then God is not just. Then God does not have vengeance for sin. He corrects and punishes. They themselves chose that path. They sowed and now they're reaping and they don't want to repent. The one repented and was healed. If they repent, they also will receive healing. Comprehending the selective love of God is called to fill us with all of the fullness of the peace of God or make us perfect as our Heavenly Father is perfect, that He would grant you according to the riches of His glory to be strengthened with might through His Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. You see, they speak in tongues. They've made a covenant with the Lord. 
But Paul writes and prays about them that God would grant them according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through the spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in their hearts through faith. That means they didn't have Christ in their heart yet. And the Holy Spirit was not there either. They had the ability to speak in tongues, the ability to speak in tongues and the Holy Spirit are two different things. Do not confuse the gift with the giver. That being rooted and grounded in love, they may be able to comprehend with all of the saints what is the width and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that you may be filled with all of the fullness of God. Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. However, to come to more practical conclusions when it comes to the selective love of God, we decided to look at the character and quality contained in the selective love of God in the form of seven qualities of true, true virtue presented by the Holy Spirit in Scripture and the spoken words of the apostles and prophets. Virtue, knowledge, self-control, perseverance, godliness, brotherly kindness, and love. Second Peter 1, 2 through 8. First, each of the, seven, of the seven qualities of the fruit of virtue contain the characteristics of all of the rest of the qualities. As they flow one from the other, they uh, are diluted technically one in the other. They flow one from the other, complete or support one the other, strengthen one the other, and confirm the truthful nature of one the other. These qualities are called to be the moral perfection and example inherent to the essence of God. These are the great and precious promises given to us in Jesus Christ. The given qualities are the imperishable treasure and wealth with which we need to become rich. In order to receive the inheritance of these qualities, it is necessary for us to receive the power of the Holy Spirit. The means that we are to utilize for receiving the power of the Holy Spirit is the obedience of our faith to the faith of God. By inheriting these great and precious promises, we become part of God's divine nature. Therefore, the selective love of God demonstrated in the seven unchanging qualities and characteristics have nothing in common with and cannot have anything in common with the nature of human love that is filled with egoism and greed and is just temporary. It is the selective love of God in the format of seven qualities of unearthly virtue that is called to enthrone the resurrection of Christ in our earthly bodies and clothe our earthly body into the resurrection of Christ that is into our new or sacred person. The the quality of the selective love of God does not compare in any way with the tolerant love of man. Because the virtue of the selective love of God are eternally existing virtues, qualities, and characteristics of our Heavenly Father and His all-consuming holiness and all that comes from God, because God is love. More specifically, holy love is separated from all that man calls love. And such an uncomprehending for our mind transcendent love of God is identified in Scripture as the bond of perfection, which directs us to the fact that the selective love of God is placed by God as first or head of all of the other perfections identified in His virtues. But above all these things, put on love, which is the bond of perfection. Colossians 3.14 The Almighty God that is dressed in a mantle <clears throat> of the bond of perfection. The bond of perfection of the selective love of God is unconditional when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. <clears throat> it, is, it is 
selective, but it's and it is conditional, but it's unconditional again when it comes to the seven qualities of virtue. Unlike the tolerant and egotistical love of man, the unconditional nature of the selective love of God in the seven qualities of virtue is different in that it contains the burning jealousy of God, all his knowledge and his absolute wisdom that in no way is able to be used for greedy or egotistical purposes of a man. At the same time, the tolerant love of a man toward other men is very conveniently used for greedy and egotistical purposes. Here's what the scriptures say regarding the strength of the love of God. Set me as a seal upon your heart, as a seal upon your arm, for love is as strong as death, jealousy as cruel as the grave. Here it's talking about the selective love of God. Its flames are flames of fire, a most vehement flame. Many waters cannot quench love nor can the floods drown it. If a man would give for love all the wealth of his house, it would be utterly despised. Songs of Solomon 8, 6, 7. <clears throat> the measure of the love of God is identified by and is known by the measure of God's hatred toward evil and men who do this evil. Because only loving what God loves and hating what God hates, we demonstrate God's reaction to good and evil. The selective love of God by its unchanging nature in the format of seven supernatural qualities is called to grow us into the fullness of growth in Christ or lead us into the perfection that is like the perfection of our Heavenly Father. Considering that these seven qualities of virtue do not have an analog in the earthly realm of the human lexicon. You will not find these definitions in the dictionaries of the world. The love of God is the foundation and atmosphere of the moral and immovable law, opening within our heart the essence of God and the essence of the heavenly kingdom. And this is not all. The love of God agape is a sovereign love which is unconditional when it comes to the people it chooses in its abilities to foreknow and predestine. Because of its sovereignty, the selective love of God never violates and so, uh, the sovereign rights of those people she selects and never allows her own personal sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. I stand at the door and knock. In the scriptures it says, he does not go in for himself and does not open the door himself. The key to this door is with Christ and only he can open it. My beloved one had knocked the latch of the door, if you remember. This is our sovereignty. This is our right. We can allow him in and we cannot allow him in this, this revelation. And so God will never violate the sovereign rights of those people whom he selects and never allows her own sovereign rights within her boundaries to be violated. These boundaries identified as his burning holiness. When you hear the phrase, but I don't understand this way. Lord, you see, I can't do this anymore. These, these things will not pass. In a specific format, we've already looked at the demonstration of the selective love of God in the qualities of virtue, knowledge, self-control, and perseverance, and stopped to study the virtue of the love of God in the mystery of great godliness. 
If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud knowing nothing but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from such to withdraw yourself. 1 Timothy 6, 3, 4. According to this place of scripture, we note that the teaching of godliness within the selective love of God and obsession with dispute and arguments over words are not only opposites or contrary one to the other, but also are unfitting in their nature. In Scripture, the discipline of godliness within the selective love of God is presented as the base or foundation of the gospel faith teaching linked together with the great mystery of godliness. And without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, received up in glory. 1 Timothy 3.16 Therefore, by demonstrating the signs of the fruits of godliness, we identified the true quality of the love of God agape within the heart of a man, in his words, in his actions, and the manner in which he dresses, which isn't supposed to prompt the instincts of the opposite sex. In Scripture, the meaning contained in the virtue godliness describes the legitimate relationship of the saints and God bound together in a mutual union or covenant. Furthermore, the essence of the selective love of God and godliness is determined and demonstrated in mutual obligation of God and man, outlined and made perpetual by God in a mutual covenant of peace with God. Relevant to this fact, it was necessary for us to respond to four classical questions. What are the characteristics of godliness in Scripture, that of God as well as that of man? What purpose is godliness called to fulfill within the relationship of God with man and man with God. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or kindness of God? And fourth, by what signs are we to determine that our godliness is truly collaborating with the godliness of God or goodness of God? In a specific format, as much as God has allowed in the measure of our faith, we have already looked at the first two questions and stopped to study the third question. What conditions do we need to fulfill to collaborate our godliness with the godliness or goodness of God? Or what conditions do we need to fulfill to attract the favor of God upon us in the form of his godliness? And before we continue to study the given virtue of the mystery of godliness, we note that there is a fundamental difference between the goodness of God in his favor toward man and the godliness of a man, which he is called to demonstrate in his love to God. For example, the godliness of a man is his favor to God, a man's grace to God, and his thanksgiving. Godliness of a man is demonstrated in visiting the father, fatherless and widow in their hardship, keeping yourself from being defiled by the world. The godliness of God is imitating Christ and meditating about the things of the hills, seeking God in his good, acceptable, and perfect will. The godliness of God is his goodness, his, his, his good toward man. It's his favor and his grace toward man. It's his mercifulness towards man. A man that comes to him or is turned with his face to God. 
and you can only turn with your face is when you begin to honor God with tithes and offerings so you understand what it's talking about if you want to turn to me Israel but with your face bring your tithes into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house repentance needs to happen with these things because people repent for everything but not in this because they are uh, slaves of mammon godliness of God is his mercifulness his thanksgiving toward man his good work and good acts his kindness in the absolute sense of the word the goodness of God in his favor toward man is the uncomprehending and inaccessible for the mind of man kindness of God identified in his good acceptable and perfect will which was formed in the entrails of the heavenly father and elevated by him as a law of grace in the form of his commandment which God has magnified above all his names and placed himself in dependence from his word contained in his commandment the goodness of God as a commandment of God was elevated by God as a law a law for himself any word that comes out of the mouth of God becomes a law for God and he becomes a servant of this word uh, and is dependent upon this word that's how he wanted it he himself placed himself to show that my word and me are no different if I don't place myself in dependence of my word and my word will not be a law for me that means that I and my word are different things and so when God makes himself a servant a servant of his own word then this is a law for himself, his son, and the Holy Spirit, as well as us together, his chosen flock, whom he became, from whom he, because of his ability to see all things, foreknew and predestined, so that we may be the image of his son, so that Jesus be the firstborn among his brothers. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Romans 8.29 The Old as well as the New Testament identified the virtue of the love of God in the discipline of godliness as one of the greatest mysteries of God himself, which defends and makes the sincere love of God impossible for counterfeit and falsification. Aside from these characteristics, as we know, there is also a counterfeit form of godliness that exists as well, that con conflicts or resists the true form of godliness. Having a form of godliness but denying its power from such people turn away. 2 Timothy 3.5 Avoid people who have this look of godliness but are not godly in essence. True godliness in man perfectly differentiates or identifies a counterfeit form of godliness in man and with disdain break all relations or contact with them and distance itself from them as it reveres and trembles before all of the dictations of God and possesses discipline capable of fulfilling these dictations with great accuracy. If we don't break our relationship with people that have the look of godliness and will not distance ourselves from them, then they will corrupt our godliness that is contained in our good habits, which is why we together with them will inherit the prepared for them destruction. What conditions again do we need to fulfill to collaborate our own godliness with the goodness of God or attract the favor of God upon ourselves? 
to attract God's goodness upon yourself within the selective love of God, it is necessary to refuse to boast against the branches that have been broken off from the fatness of the olive tree and continue in the goodness of God or in the grace of God. Romans 11.13-24 For I speak to you Gentiles, inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If, if by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast out is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life from the dead? For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. And if the root is holy, so are the branches. And if some of the branches were broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief they were broken off off and you stand by faith do not be haughty but fear for if God did not spare the natural branches he may not spare you either therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity but towards you goodness if you continue in his goodness otherwise you also will be cut off and they also if they do not continue in unbelief will be grafted in for God is able to graft them in again for if you were cut out of the olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree how much more will these who are natural branches be grafted into their own olive tree. The central phrase in the given warning about cutting yourself off because of boasting against the branches that are broken off from the fatness of the good olive tree is, therefore consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity toward, but toward you goodness. If you continue in his goodness, otherwise you also will be cut off. According to this place of scripture, we conclude that in order to attract the Lord's goodness upon upon us in his favor, it is necessary to see the goodness of God toward yourself and also towards those that by faith stand in his goodness. And on the other hand, the goodness of God consists of the severity of God toward those who have fallen off from the goodness of God because of unbelief. We need to pay attention to the fact that the goodness of God and the severity of God in the given warning are presented in the root system of the healthy olive tree. Therefore, to abide in the goodness of God is by faith abide in the root system of the olive tree or be nourished by the juices of the olive tree, which will allow us to stand in the liberty of Christ or with the spirit, weight, and trust in righteousness and faith. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you became circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify against again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. You have become estranged from Christ. You who attempt to be justified by law, you have fallen from grace. Galatians 5, 1 through 6. For Israel, as well as for the Gentiles, in order to attract the goodness of God in his favor upon themselves, it was necessary to receive liberty from the power of the law of Moses that was over them, which is given for the sinner 
that, as we know, reveals sin and gives power to sin. A sinner is first of all a person that is is this way by the fact of his birth. A person sins because he is a sinner by nature or because of his genealogy. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden parts you will make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones... And so where it says purge me with hyssop, it's necessary that someone purge you with hyssop. You yourself can't do this. Make me hear joy and gladness that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Psalm 51, 5 through 10. The truth in the heart which God loves and has favor for is a good heart of a man whose genealogy is in the root system of the good tree. The root system of the good tree is a, is a symbol of the new covenant identified as the law of the grace in Christ Jesus by which God justifies a person and does not account to him his sins. I, Jesus, have sent my angel to testify to you these things in the churches. I am the root and the offspring of David, the bright and morning star, Revelations 22:16. A wild branch that was grafted to the root of the good olive tree is a symbol of the heart that is cleansed from dead works or a symbol of the new person that is created in accordance to God in Christ Jesus in righteousness and holy truth that was grafted to the root of the good olive tree by faith in the redeeming blood of the cross of Christ. The natural branch that grows on the root of the good olive tree that was broken off because of unbelief in justification by faith is a symbol of a person that working to have his own personal righteousness disobeys the righteousness of God. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. Romans 10, 3, 4. We need to consider also that the acts of personal righteousness also include people who by the means of their own personal good works disobey the righteousness that is that is by faith and attempt to justify themselves before God with their good works and their religious acts instead of presenting the fruits of righteousness that is produced in justification by faith in Christ Jesus. A good tree cannot bear bad fruit, nor can a bad tree bear good fruit. Every tree that does not bear good fruit is cut, cut down and thrown into the fire. Therefore, by the fruit you will know them. Nor every, <clears throat> Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name? and done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Matthew 7, 18 through 23. The will of the Heavenly Father consists in us bearing good fruit, and in order to do this, it is necessary to obtain a good heart by the means of faith in justification gifted to us in Christ Jesus, so that we can be grafted to the root of the good tree. For a good tree does not bear bad fruit, nor does a bad tree bear good fruit. For every tree is known by its own fruit. For men do not gather figs from thorns, nor do they gather grapes from a bramble bush. 
A good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth good, and an evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth evil. <clears throat> For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Luke 6, 43 through 45. We need to note that the demonstration of anti-Semitism and nationalism is bad fruit which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. The element of concern for your public image of fame with which a person wants to make himself famous or known is a bad fruit which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. The element of any good work that a person does, which a person makes as a hope for his salvation, is bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. The attempt to use the name of Christ in your own personal prophecies is a bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Trusting in and seeking anointing, blessing, and gifts of the Holy Spirit, instead of seeking and trusting upon the one that anoints, the one that blesses, and the one that gives, is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Self-made or self-created service where a person presents himself in the leading role of a teacher is a bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Not accepting the order consisting in theocracy, identifying the order of the kingdom of heaven, is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Not desiring to be a student and pay the price for our learning in the body of Christ is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Resisting the authority implemented by God upon the conditions of Scripture in the body of Christ is bad fruit which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Trusting that godliness can be used for gain and the ability to justify your desire to be rich with money is bad fruit which testifies about the fact that we are a, of a, our branch of a bad tree. Resisting the commandment of tithes and making the choice to view it as an element of the law of Moses is bad fruit which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Not desiring to suffer for the truth and overcoming the words of slander or mockery of those who seek slander, speak slander and mocking and mock God is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Not desiring to work with your own hands and live off of those who do work is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Accepting bad information or rumors about your neighbor and spreading it is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Peddling with the truth that is contained in Scripture by the way of perverting it and resisting the truth is bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that this person is a branch of a bad tree. Not desiring and refusing to forgive the one who has sinned against you and not desiring to acknowledge your guilt is bad fruit, which testifies about the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Concealing your sin and not desiring to, to leave it and confess your sins is bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Presenting the revelations that were given to another person as a revelation that was given to us is bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Confessing good words that are not within your heart is bad fruit, which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. 
and to be arrogant and in your mind and ascribe success and obtained wealth as something done by the abilities of your mind is bad fruit which testifies of the fact that we are a branch of a bad tree. Let us bend our knees as you are comfortable and bend our heads and pray. And I call all those people that are servants of sins, of sin, of are, have bitterness, have illnesses to come here so that they can prepare themselves for this great mystery and celebration. And I'm confident according to Scripture, God, right now, when you come here, will forgive your sins, will cleanse you from your sins, will forgive your bitterness in your heart. If you don't forgive, God will not forgive you, of course. And when you do this, then God is faithful to his words. You will eat and it will be a blessing to you and life. Amen. We wait for you. I am going to be praying your prayer and I ask you to deeply believe that God is for you. He's not against you. Close your eyes. This is your secret room. Lift your hands to God. Your palms upward. That the, This demonstrates the fact that you are going to receive from the Lord what he wants to give you. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus Christ, I come to you with my shame, with my sin, with my illness, with my fear. I ask you, forgive me, wash me, cleanse me, protect me from my shame, from my sin, from my sickness. I love you. I open my heart. Enter in. And with your powerful word, heal me. Erect the stronghold of life in my body. I believe in your words. I have accepted this promise as an inheritance forever and ever. And right now, before heaven and hell, I want to proclaim that according to your words, I am washed, I am cleansed, I am healed, I am restored, I am justified, and I am saved. Your sins are forgiven and your trespasses in the name of Jesus Christ. May the Lord bless you. May he look upon you with his great face and show you mercy and give you peace. May thousands and ten thousands attempt to come near you, but they won't touch you. May the blessings of the valleys and the hills be upon you. May the Lord fulfill the desire of your heart. May he enthrone the stronghold of life in your body and show his glory and his mercy for you and for your children. And the nation shall say, Amen. The Lord is blessed and his mercy for us now and forever. He has done all things. I will ask everyone to stand and we will proclaim our unchanging manifestation. Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless 
before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen.